Welcome to Leading with Curiosity. Command and control leadership is dead. We interview leaders, entrepreneurs, and executive coaches challenging old paradigms and fostering cutting-edge leadership. Here's your host, certified executive coach, Nate Leslie. Hey listeners, welcome to Leading with Curiosity. My guest today is a longtime friend of the show, Jeff Smith from the Supporting Lines Institute in High Performance Sports. Uh, great timing on the show here today, Jeff, 12 months after we first started gathering data in the sports world, and we have some incredible insights that we're going to uh, share with our, our sporting audience, but also how highly it aligns with uh, leadership across any industry. Uh, welcome to Leading with Curiosity. Thanks. Uh, you know, it, it's been, it, I guess, uh, you know, it's been an interesting journey for you as well. I think you're in it about episode number 40. So it's great to be back, but just congrats on on all your success with this too. And, and really sort of staying with it because lots of people talk about doing a podcast, but you've you've done it and you've stayed with it and it's been really consistent. So congrats on that. Thanks, Jeff. So 12 months ago, we decided that we wanted to see how our data in the high performance index which is measuring culture, measuring performance, measuring the human experience at work, how that correlated in the sporting world. And through our work at the West Coast Hockey Prep Camp, we took a sample size of almost 300 families. Since then, you've added mm -hmm. many, many to that. Uh, what have you learned through that experience? Oh, it's been, uh, it's been incredible. I mean, I, I didn't, I had no idea what we were getting into when we did that survey uh, in, in a good way. The, the biggest thing is that, uh, and I think we're going to share some visuals um, as well. I, I think one of the biggest things we learned was the complete stratification between performance levels and, and, and just seeing how performance related uh, to culture. And, and specifically, when we look at teams that are low performance, high performance, or elite high performance, as we call them, um, we see some really amazing patterns in, in the data. And so uh, when we look at a team where the, the participants or the athletes on that team, and again, this is based on the West Coast prep data last year, when, when players say that the team they were on was a low performance team, which means that it did not perform to their expectations, um, the culture scores were also not good. Mm -hmm. When we looked at a High performance team, which is the one on which the athletes would, would agree that the team is performing. The culture scores got a lot better, but it was on every dimension. And we've kind of seen this before in the corporate world, but not this in such a compelling way. And then when there's an elite high performance team, that's when people strongly agree the team is performing. And in that one, essentially, they agree that they have all of the elements of culture that we measure. So we have nine different dimensions that we measure. And... They kind of break down into like, do you have a structured approach to perform and achieve your goals? And then is there a great athlete experience? What I didn't expect was a couple things. One is I didn't expect it to be that linear. We'd always talked about, you know, pick one or two things and just go work on it. Don't try to do 20 because you won't do it. And it was a blend of believing that everything was impactful. Just doing anything would help. And I've seen so many times that, you know, we pick 20 things and then, you know, we don't do them because we have 400 other things we're trying to do as well. And so our whole pick one or two things, I didn't realize how correct that was. But mm -hmm. when you see this pattern and how everything moves together, it really validated that. The second thing I didn't realize is that this is almost exactly the same. The pattern is the same. Some of the numbers are a little bit different, but the pattern's exactly the same as what we see in corporations. And so that was, uh, 
excellent from the standpoint of the insight. It was uh, it was sub excellent uh, in the sense that it actually changed everything. Mm. So we we have actually also we we came up with an analytic that I thought was simpler for the sports world. Turns out it's actually it's simple and more powerful at the same time. And so what we've done is we've actually changed all of our organizational assessments um, to be exactly the same. And what we're seeing is that it all lines up. And so it just really validates what we knew from the beginning. I mean, this to me was all about performance from the beginning. So human performance. And this really validates that it doesn't really matter what theater you're in, whether you're a teenager playing hockey. Um, and we've seen this data from other sports as well. But if you're a teenager playing hockey or you're someone working in a company in vers- virtually in industry or a government you know, agency, nonprofit, humans want to perform while doing meaningful work and while growing. And that's kind of it. I mean, there's other details and stuff, but that's kind of it. Give us that again. Give us that again, Jeff. So, yeah, I mean, humans want to perform. They want to do, they want to perform while doing meaningful work. And they want to be growing. Like we're evolutionary creatures. So we want to be successful at doing the right work while being on on a trajectory of growth because we're evolutionary creatures is what we do. And so there's been a move in some circles away from talking about performance in in the organizational world and i just i don't i don't think that could be a more incorrect approach i think having a very fair approach to performance and make sure people are also having good experience is important but we need to perform and without getting too into the details of how we actually measure that it's Mm -hmm. around we measure things like clarity of expectation, clarity of role. Mm-hmm. Do I have the support do I, that I need to be successful? So it's not a performance review at the end of a hockey season or, a, or once a year in, in, in a business setting. That's right. Because you could have told me something 11 months ago that would have made all the difference. So it's about this ongoing way That's of it. existing that makes all the difference. And the data keeps proving that to us time and again. And and for me, the, the mic, dropped when it went from sport being a metaphor for leadership to Mm -hmm. saying right teenagers are having the exact same experience as Mm -hmm. their parents in the work setting and we have a responsibility whether you're a leader in a company or sports team to care about all of it 100 100 and it is that i always forget the name of the gentleman who wrote this book so i'll apologize to him um but it's uh the ceo of wd40 uh, he wrote a book that was titled something along the lines of, you know, don't grade my paper, help me get an A. Right. And so a performance appraisal is all about assessing someone's performance. This program, this whole approach is about helping people perform. Like in our own company, we've actually stopped doing performance appraisals. We don't even do them anymore. Don't need to. We're talking about performance every two weeks. But it's in the context of how can I help you perform as opposed to, you know, some bell curve thing where we got to make all the, you know, you got to balance it all out for HR and stuff that we've done on a legacy basis. And many companies still do today. It's like, yeah, it's, it's really, it's about helping people get the A rather than the big red A on the paper. So for the listeners who are listening to the audio here, just a reminder, we have all of this on YouTube as well. And it'll be in the blog post and the show notes. What we're looking at right now is essentially our key uh, image that really describes exactly what we're measuring. And we see these low-performing teams, teams who have acknowledged that they are not performing up to their expectation, all these black dots to the outside of this spider web. And as that answer to that question changes, are you performing at a really high level? 
all of these different things that we measure move more towards the middle. So listeners mm -hmm. on audio, please do uh, check out the show notes and, uh, and it's, it's, it's a, it's a very compelling uh, argument. Jeff, we have an example too of, of, of a team, mm -hmm. a West coast prep camp coach as well. Our, our friend and colleague, Nick Deshane, that mm -hmm. took over a team, almost identical team from one year to the next. Why don't we share uh, what happened there with some of these insights? Yeah, I mean, we we ran this. Uh, I met Nick actually at the debrief session last year when we did a coaches' night with the West Coast prep coaches, and uh, we've since, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about this stuff. He really gets it, um, and what we I think that it shows the power of the model because one of the things that we've seen there's really you know I, I there's four different types of teams that you know don't perform as well, and one of them we can talk about the other three, but one of them is when you have a really good coach who just might need some of the tools. Nick came in as someone who was a really good coach. Uh, he would have, I think, turned this team around regardless. But we only did two little things, right? It's like, uh, I remember I had this chiropractor that used to make adjustments and like, you didn't feel like he did anything, but then the next day you were sore. Like, I almost feel like we were that chiropractor. So it was a slight tweak to the way he did one-on-ones. He already had a very robust approach to one-on-ones. And the other thing was he had some players in the team that he needed to give feedback to or hold them and or hold them accountable. And so we have an approach called, you know, three-story feedback where you you state clearly what your issue is. Why are you giving the feedback? You then invite the other person from a place of curiosity, might I add, mm -hmm. uh, not like, you know, just like someone's podcast I can think of. Um, you invite them to share their story and then you create a better way forward. And so that's it. Those are the two things we did. And they literally flipped the record. But there's a couple things about this that's really cool. One is the core of the team is the same. Uh, the other is that they were actually uh, like in, they won their first playoff series in in you know recent memory, and they beat a team that was a full year older than than them on average. Okay, so that they in a in a junior B league, this team, the Sycamus Eagles, um, with a team that was had a lot of young kids on it, um, they literally flipped the record from 14 wins and 25 losses to 26 wins and 15 losses. Um, you know, so it, just a sea change, but it also it happened in every front goals for per game were better goals against, um, you know, also improved. So it was on every dimension. And the, the big thing is that when we ran the assessment sort of mid season, we actually did a debrief with all of the players. Um, it was great. Like the things that kind of came through for the, for the team was a couple of things. First of all, they have a high performance culture. So I was glad to see that, that the team that was performing, you know, at or above expectations had a culture that lined up with that. And the other thing that was clear is that there was definitely a connection from the player's perspective between how you showed up everywhere, not just on the ice, and how you showed up on the ice. So if you did your dishes in the dorm, you were more likely to, to also put in effort at practice, and then the opposite was true. The other thing that really came through, which we've actually seen in the West Coast data and virtually every you know team, team or association we've talked to, there's also a very important thing we'll talk about resilience um very important element of resilience is that the, the bench needs to be home base and so it's very common especially when we try to empower athletes young athletes to be leaders they'll think that being a leader is to be really vocal when someone doesn't make a good play or whatever when in fact what that person needs especially at higher levels they know they made a bad play like yeah i'm pretty sure i know i passed it to that guy that just scored in our net like i got yeah. it but it's, it's not to excuse a bad play, 
It's more to reinforce so they go out and perform next time and not take that baggage with them the next time they go out. And so the more teammates kind of chirp each other on the bench, just like the same thing in a corporate setting, the more we're really difficult with other people and stuff like that, it actually undermines the team's resilience, which undermines the team's performance. And so that was another thing that this team really tried to do was like, let's let's show up in all facets, not just on the ice, and let's try to support each other more. And uh, yeah, they pulled off a big round one upset. And again, uh, their team, you know, full year younger, which really matters in junior. I'm just going to clarify and connect a couple of dots because one thing you mentioned was how in your company, uh, mm-hmm. rather than annual performance reviews, you're talking performance every two weeks. Uh, you yep. mentioned you mentioned one to ones here, and there are some sports listeners here saying like, how did they manage their you know one to one one a one on one in a hockey game? And so I just actually want to clarify mm-hmm. the value of one to one conversations in a slightly scripted way that have such impact. They had them for Nick. We've seen you and I have seen companies completely turn around their culture. So let's just clarify the power of a a great one-to-one that isn't forward against defense. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's a couple of different types, right? So there's the one-on-one that a coach would have with players. Um, Sports has forced us to sort of look at the core essence of um, what we do in companies. So to company, it's like, you know, a 45 minute meeting between a manager and employee every couple of weeks or every month or whatever. Sports coaches don't have time for that. They got more people. Often you're, you know, you might get a bursary or something as a rep coach, but you're, you know, you just don't have the time. You get a job, you get other stuff going on. And so we we tried to look at what is, if we distill the core essence down and I challenged myself to come up with a seven minute version of it, mm-hmm. would it still work? And so I actually tried it first in a corporate setting. Then I had people try it in uh, in sort of sports setting and it, it's it's beautiful. So it's, yeah, seven minutes. And you, we, you know, there's an element of recognition, which is, just like how have you, how have you won this year individually? What have you accomplished? Um, there's a, a we do talk about growth. The other thing then is you make sure the player understands what their contribution is from there on in the season and what it has been to this point. And then the final masterstroke is you ask the player what feedback do you have for me. Like how can I be better? And that's it. And you can do it do it in seven minutes. If you un- uncover something that's a problem, it might extend a bit. But I think in ninety percent of cases, what you'll find is that. It's, it's seven to 10 minutes. Like it's super fast. The key thing is that the, that's checking some of the most important boxes in psychological safety and in culture. And it, uh, it, these, these one-on-ones, even the simple version are like more than 90% connected, which is incredible power, incredibly powerful connection to overall culture. And so, so the, they're just, they're super powerful, even if they're only seven minutes long, it's crazy. Let's go there because psychological safety in a culture, whether it's sport or company is also something mm-hmm that mm-hmm. this diagnostic tool measures and this seven to 10 minute, 30 minute, 45 minute meeting is not to be confused with coach talking at player or Correct. manager in a company setting, talking at employee uh, for those, for those listeners, understanding the world of, of coaching in leadership, <laughs> understand this is more about asking. So let's, let's uh, make uh, dive a little deeper into that correlation between mm-hmm. letting someone speak about what's important to them and psychological safety? Uh, it's huge. I mean, it's, uh, you know, my own experience as a coach, I've seen it where, you know, a player will come off the ice and there, I did a lot of work with, uh, you know, female hockey in particular, where the players are very self-accountable. And so when they come off the ice, they already know that they did something and they're like, uh, they'll feel, they feel like they let their team down. And so the exercise there is rather than, 
doubling down on that and letting them know that they made a bad play. I like asking them questions. It really helps. It creates psychological safety right in the moment. And it creates empowerment too. Cause you're like, all right, what did you see? Cause you're kind of telling them, like, I know you didn't do that on purpose. Like if you did, we need to have another conversation. Right. So I know you didn't do that on purpose. So what did you see? And you try to kind of open it that way. Um, the other one I've seen is in recognition. There's lots of coaches that think they're giving recognition. A great example I had this year was actually with, uh, with, uh, was with my son. And so uh, in one of the games, he was on the ice, made a good play. Uh, coach on the bench was great about it. He's like, wow, did you guys see that? Like he angled him out, played physical, didn't take the penalty. Like perfect job, guys. That's it. That's what I want to see. And when he got back to the bench, my son got back to the bench. His coach said, nice shift, Sam. And so the, the miss there was that when the player's on the ice, they don't hear it, right? And so the opportunity there is not to just get the whiteboard out when someone does something wrong. But often I found that if you ask questions uh, of your players, even when they do something right, I'll say, oh, great shift, nice play. And they'll be like, oh, thanks, coach. And I'll say, do you know what you did? And they're like, no. I said, okay, come here. So get the whiteboard out for those things too. It's like, look, this play here, we've been working on this in practice. And when you were the second player in on this four check or whatever play it is, it's like, that's exactly what we're trying to do. You, you did the thing. And they're like, oh yeah, right. Yeah, I did the thing. And they get excited about it. And so reinforcing with the whiteboard, I think is more important than saying like, look, you got to do this and you didn't do that or whatever. Because I think, I just think players just, they just, they, they turn it off. And I think that is, again, that's a psychological safety thing. If they don't feel safe in that moment, they're going to put the door down and you're, they don't even hear you. That's you my experience. And, and, and insert person with player at any moment here. We take that 100%. example. So we're going to something else that we also measure is specificity of feedback. How many of us use good job? Perfect example. Someone does a presentation at work and their manager says, hey, good job. That's right. that's one thing that's probably better than than no feedback at all. But hey, Jeff, you were really clear today, and your voice projected beautifully. And I thought, you know, you really nailed the three points that we'd talked about preparing for this. That was the best presentation mm -hmm. in those areas that I've seen. The specificity of that is a completely different experience than good job. What what do you want to add? So to important. Uh, I I think you got it. I think I think the key is to be whether it's recognition or feedback, you want to be really specific about what had happened. Um, I like talking about the impact. It's, it's really important to, to connect it to like team values. If you have that opportunity, especially if it's feedback about behavior, you know, like we establishing team values is one of the most important things you can do as a coach or as a leader of a team. Um, and, and I think the reason for that is it gives you a set of, pre-agreed things that you can later come back to hold people accountable to. Like this is our standard behavior. If you don't have it defined, it, it's harder to find the language in a moment in a way where the person doesn't feel like it's kind of like a personal attack or something. Right. And so the, yeah, the, the, the big thing that, that we've seen is, you know, whether it's feedback or recognition, it's kind of the same. Like you want to be specific, you want to connect it to why it's important. Um, and, and I think it's, you know, recognition is just catching someone doing something right, you know? Yeah. So it, they're exactly the same thing. And so I think, uh, yeah, in our, in our program, like what we try to do is find what is the minimum simplest way to get the outcome. And I think that's what really, really works well in sports is that that's how we always did it in companies because as a former C-suite executive, I know how busy I was. And so I needed stuff that was fast and easy. And also like I can remember it. I didn't have to go look up some 37 step thing to do something. It's just like make it really easy. And so I think the other thing that sports has done is 
because I think it's for a lot of coaches, it's a part-time thing, volunteer thing, whatever it is. It's like, you don't have, you don't even have the time that executives would have, and they don't even have the time to do this stuff as much as they would like. And so the key thing is it needed to get simpler, faster and easier. And I think it's really helped reinforce our entire program. Yeah. Jeff, in our last few minutes here, what else have you learned as a result of gathering sports data as it pertains to measuring culture? I think the other thing I mentioned that there's like, you know, when we talk about, um, you know, what makes a good team culture or not a good team culture. And I'm going to show a chart here, uh, which, you know, these are, it's real. I've, I've, there's no, I'm, you, you can't see the question names or the element names or the, the teams, but you get the idea here. Let's say this is a, you know, an association or again, you could insert company with a bunch of departments. So green is good in this case and yellow is one where the others work to do. And so there's a few things that we've seen in both companies and in sports. Um, in sports in particular, we've at this point found four different types of teams where they would have like lots of yellow, which means that it's not, it's not the best team experience. It's not a good team to be on. Um, also means the team isn't performing. The, the first one I talked about, which is, you know, you've got a really good coach. You've got someone that just, you know, if we can give them some of the tools, they're just going to go next level, right? Um, just Nick DeShane is a great example of a coach. It just, before we even talked to him, he was excellent. We helped him take his game to another level as a coach. Um, obviously, another type of environment where you could have, uh, you know, where, where someone's struggling, it would be if you have a coach that's not a good coach, uh, in extreme form, a coach that is, you know, uh, very aggressive, even abusive with players in terms of just like verbal, the way they talk to them and stuff, or emotionally. Um, that's obviously going to create uh, a really terrible team environment. Interestingly, you can see the team, you can actually see in some of the data that the players will galvanize around each other and their bond could be stronger, but overall, it's not a good experience. Um, and we see that in the comments too. So it's not just data, like you see in the comments and then when we go talk to people about what's going on. So yeah, weak coach uh, to really poor coach, that's going to create it. The other one we saw is parent group. We had one uh, in particular I could think of where the parent group was so aggressive that it actually destroyed the culture of the team and the team didn't perform. And as a result, it just was a self-fulfilling uh, situation that was really, really bad. So parents need to, we're going to do some more research on this, but I think parents probably don't realize the impact that they have on a team's culture. And when this is kids trying to just play a sport, like I do think people need to chill sometimes. Um, and I've had moments too as a hockey parent myself where I need to have probably someone else remind me of that when I'm frustrated. So I, I get the frustration, but parent group can destroy a team. And I've seen multiple examples of, of, of that. Um, you know, the other one is when you uh, have team members who are not, uh, not being good teammates, they're eroding the fabric of the team's culture and they're not held accountable, whether it's by their teammates or by the coach. So it's, you know, poor coach, teammates that aren't behaving and aren't held accountable. Uh, the parent group really having a negative impact on the team. And, uh, and the final one is, yeah, we have seen lower scores where I know the coaches and they're, they're really good people. Like they're excellent. They just don't have the tools. And so, you know, in, in hockey in particular, but I think all sports, a lot of times, you know, you're promoted to be the coach because you're good at the sport. Now, hockey has a whole bunch of training. I've actually seen this even more extreme in dance, 
my daughter's dance school and I have one daughter that actually left the school because of this. Um, but you have people that don't even get all the certifications and training that you do in other sports. And so there I've seen it kind of be, you know, even more challenging because people they're good at the sport, but they, they haven't had the training or the tools. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the, the big thing for me is that in that, in e each of these scenarios, there is a, a way for us to, to measure what's happening, recognize that there's an issue and then try to figure out which of these kind of four things. And so it could be don't invite the coach back. And it could be that people just weren't aware. And it could be that people would like some training to be able to do better. And so that's really important to identify which of those four flavors, I guess, you have if you have a poor culture. I'm going to take those as metaphors now back to the uh, business world to maybe wrap this up. First was a great coach who doesn't have the tools. That is, in a work setting, a great individual contributor. Let's call it a salesperson mm -hmm. who gets hired into sales manager great person, was a great performer, doesn't yet necessarily have the tools, often with help on things like the work that we do. Mm -hmm. uh, cautious to say easy fix, but fixable. What are the couple of tools that we can provide them that will make all the difference? It's easy uh, to fix if the person wants to do the work. You're yeah. pushing an open door then. Then it's easy. Yeah. And so yeah. number two, poor coach, abusive, psychological safety, mm -hmm. same in the workplace. Third one was parent group, uh, mm -hmm. metaphor, team functioning other well teams, inside yep. a company and other teams or leadership being uh, dysfunctional and abusive. And also really like culture. That's right. And also you can have uh, outside factors. Like if you're an association that has members and they're not treating your staff properly, that has an impact. The other one, I have one client where they have, well, I have several clients that have this scenario, but one in particular, they, they're, they have very difficult work. It's a social services sort of thing. And they, they have very difficult work. And so when you're working with very difficult clients, because your service is to provide support to people that are, you know, have, have challenges, mm. um, that can be difficult. Like that, that also leaves a mark. Yeah. Like think of a health yeah. setting too, right? Like if you're, it can be exhausting to be a health practitioner. And so that, you know, so there's, it, there are, you're right. It, there are multiple other things outside of just your team or your leader that could be creating pressure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that fourth and final one um, of, of it's actually the, the lack of high performance culture is in the team members. And oftentimes that's about accountability and feedback. Yes. And yes. It's to, uh, uh, to catch that, that cancer before it grows. Yeah. It's, you know, really tough. Like I uh, it's, it's hard to have those difficult conversations. And so what I would encourage people to do, I mean, first of all, we got tools that make it really easy. So these, the three story feedback, three story accountability, you have defined values to hold someone, you know, against. Um, the biggest thing is that when you're thinking about how difficult the conversation is going to be with the one or two people, I'd like you to think about the impact that they're having on the other 10, 20 or 30 or 50 people, right? It's, yeah. it's the, the prize is to remove this situation for everybody, because what will happen is you'll have a lot of turmoil, whether it's a sports team or in a company. I've had personal experience with this this year. Um, and or it, you know, you you could have a scenario where, yeah, you start losing some of your top talent on either a sports team, because I've seen that, or in a company, because people have the ability to move and they're, you know, if they're a free agent, they can go wherever they want the following season. Uh, whether it's at workplace or on a team, they're going to go. And so now you're left with, you know, a, a really challenging situation because the team will move backward and you still haven't held these people accountable. So I think it's really important to nip that stuff in the bud. The only person happy that you're not addressing the toxic behavior as the leader is that person that's getting away with it because everyone 100%. else feels it. Yeah, 100%. Uh, 
Jeff, you know, we just ran the coach's playbook, uh, open course. And what I just loved in that was all the different ways people can engage with the high, uh, the supporting lines Institute materials. So for those listeners wondering, how can I access or what's my barrier to entry or what's my opportunity to entry? I would like to describe to them that there's a listener here who could use this as a free self-assessment. How am I doing as a leader? As a free prediction assessment, what do I think my team, sport or other, would say about our culture? There is the 360 version where we can use this as a 360 diagnostic about a leader's performance. There is the team from 10 people up to thousands in multiple languages, which you and I had the chance to do together, um, where we can measure by department, by tenure, by gender, by by division, by education, all different ways where we can dig in and find mm -hmm. what we can celebrate in the organization and what are the one or two things that we could that they could start doing differently as our clients that would really move the needle. Of course, we mm -hmm. have this on the in, in the corporate and business setting or the organizational setting as well as the sport one, just which sounds like a lot, but what it has given me as a practitioner and given our clients is the right entry point that works for them and it can scale. And so uh, they mm -hmm. can find that on my site, of course, contacting me at nate at natelesley.ca. Check out uh, supportinglinesinstitute.com. What else do you want to share about how people can engage with this incredible work that you've developed? Yeah, I think, you know, at supportinglines.com, you've got the two, you got the, like you said, you got the two different, you got the, the what would your team say kind of predictor, and you've got what, what do you think, what's your own assessment of your own leadership? And I think it's like, what do you wonder about? Let's start there. And then for, you know, we're a social enterprise trying to focus on, you know, helping millions of people have a better experience of work. And I guess now and of sport. And I think the biggest thing is that, again, it goes back to that thing I talked about earlier. If you pick one or two things and you just start in, you're going to make rapid progress. And some of the stuff you literally can do it like today, right? You can make it, you could, you could start today. I know that sounds a little bit cliche, but it, it really is true. And I think, you know, we have programs for, you know, large multinationals or entire, you know, minor hockey leagues or programs. We also have things that can just come right down to one individual. It's got, you know, very modest budget and, and just wants to do something to be better and to improve. And so I think that's the key. It's like, what do you wonder about or what do you know you need to work on? And yeah, let's uh, let's do the work. So if someone leads with curiosity about their own culture or leadership, is that the terrible pun or is that the exactly appropriate time to, uh, <laughs> to, to insert I think it's awesome. It's exactly it. I mean, yeah. I didn't totally do that on purpose, but I, if I was smart, I would have. But that's <laughs> it. Like, what do you wonder about? What are you curious about? Yeah. And I think if you have a shred of, if you're listening to this and you have a shred of self-awareness, which I'm guessing you do because you're listening to this, um, you're, you would actually be able to, if you filled out the, the, the high performance index prediction, you would uncover a couple of things that you know to be true about your team, but probably in a way that you might not have seen it otherwise, even with a right. free self-assessment. Bam. We will put links to those uh, free assessments in the show notes as well. Jeff Smith, Supporting Lines Institute, High Performance Sports. Thank you so much for your time again. Always a pleasure. And congrats on the continued success of this. Uh, I'm sure we'll have lots more to learn. Maybe we can uh, come back again another time, but uh, we just keep learning. It's great. Thanks for... Uh, Thanks for having us on today. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Leading with Curiosity. Please share, follow, and rate the show so that other leaders can make positive change in the world.
Connect with Nate at natelesley.ca. And remember, the brain behaves very differently when encouraged to think rather than told to listen.